we have been doing this series on character. Both Clay and I have had different, uh, and both of us have really sort of centered in on David. Um, and uh, tonight, uh, today, though, I deviate, and uh, today and next Sunday, um, I'm talking about uh, three other guys, um, not contemporaries of David, didn't even live during the same time. Uh, a story that maybe you're familiar with, maybe not, and uh, a little bit of history happened. Uh, I believe it's, it's, it's a historical narrative, and it's about three young men um, who were captured at war and taken to a foreign country, the, con- the country that conquered their country, which was Israel. And uh, Babylon captures them, and they, and, they, and they take these three young men, as, along with many of the other young men. Of what they would do in those days when they won a war is that they would take all the, uh, in, in most cases, the young men, and take them to the, con- the conquering country, and then sort of indoctrinate them with their culture, and, and then benefit from them because they would have the, the, the brightest and the smartest, so to speak, of, of that of that country that they conquered, and it would also take the threat of that country coming back at them because they got their sharpest people. So it's kind of ingenious, really. I mean, it was, it was part of warfare. It's part of the part of the way you did things back then. So these three guys, let me just read something to you from one of the commentaries that I read. Uh, these captives were choice young men, both physically and mentally, and as such, they would be an they would be an asset to the king's palace. An attempt was made to assimilate them into the culture of the court. Um, for the court, that they were compelled to learn both the language, in this case Babylonian, and, and the literature of the people among whom they now dwelt. They were to undergo a rigorous three-year course of training after which they were to enter into the king's service. These guys did that. And they have uh, risen in the ranks, so to speak. And the king, his name is, I call him Neb, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, um, the King Neb, he's kind of got an ego problem. A lot of kings do. And um, I don't know anybody here like that, of course. But, but you got, well, here, let me show you what happens. We're going to pick it up in Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He sent messages to the high officials, the high, the high officers, the officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, so forth and so forth and so forth, uh, to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. We're talking roughly eight stories high. I wanted to give you a point of reference. The other day I drove around Summit. We don't have anything eight stories high. Um... Uh, I mean, arguably, Overlook Hospital, but the way it's built, it's kind of in the ground and everything, too. So we don't really have anything eight stories high around here. I, I, looked, I looked. I looked thoroughly. I mean, you can correct me later if, if I'm missing something. But um, I thought maybe the Boudreaux building down here would be. That's like three stories. I mean, it's like, wow. So anyway, this, this is, you get this thing about eight stories high, 10 feet, 10 feet broad. It's like, it's, like it's, it's, it's circular, kind of like a mini silo. It's gold. It's really cool, really nice. And, uh, and by the way, um, another note, I'll, I'll just read to you. Uh, archaeologists have recently or have uncovered a large square made of brick some six miles southeast of Babylon in which they have been, uh, which may have been the base for this image. Since this base is the center of the wide plain, the image's height would have been impression. Uh, it's also 
in reference to the proximity of Babylon. So that's a possibility. Uh, no, nobody, you know, the thing about ruins, as I began to say after I saw a bunch of ruins, both in Israel and in Turkey uh, years ago, I, you know, all ruins look the same after a while. To, 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 to those of us who are not, now, I say that and I've got a doctor here who would totally disagree with that, I know. But, but, but you know, after a while, like, okay, are these the ruins of this? Oh, yeah, okay, they're ruins, they're ruins. Anyway, if you're not a detail guy or educated strongly in that stuff. So anyway, this, this may, may have had the real place. Anyway, my point is, this, I believe this is history. I, I, I believe this is not just a, a, a parable or whatever. Well, here's what happens. We go to verse 4. The herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the lyre, the, the, the harp, the pipes, and the other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey immediately will be thrown into a blazing furnace. He's pretty serious about this. You're going to go, you're going to go do this, and if you don't do this, I'm going to, I mean, it's like, are you kidding me? Why a furnace, you know? Why not just hang him? Throw him into a furnace, okay? Um, anyway, he was, he was pretty serious. Verse 7, so the sound of the musical instruments and so forth, all the people of whatever their nation uh, bowed to the ground, worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Okay. The organ music takes a downturn here. Dum, 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 okay? Because... Maybe it's anti-Semitism. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's just a bunch of people who think they can endear themselves to the king by telling on others. Not sure what. We don't know. But there are some people. Verse 8, some astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. This is a mole, okay? Informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king! Yeah, you hate people like that. Hey, long live the king! Sucking up. Anyway, verse 10. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the horn, the flute, and da 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 11. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing fire. Okay, yeah, I did. Verse 12. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you may have put in charge of the province of, or you have put in charge in the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods, and they do not worship the gold statue you have set up. You know, aside, I mean, you can just read into this, and aside from the fact that the obvious, idol worshipers, all the other, just, there's always people like that, isn't there? There's just always people like that. It's just hard to like them. You know, um, it's hard to love them. And, and anyway, um, one question that might be in your mind, if you're, a, if you're a, even just if you're not even a biblical student, would be, of all these people, we don't know how many of these young men who have been brought to Babylon, you know, it, probably hundreds. We don't know that exactly. But all these people, they, he, they, they sing a lot, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the guy that's writing this, is also a righteous guy. Daniel. Where's Daniel? And because people say, well, how could Daniel bow down? I don't believe he did. I don't believe he bowed down. I mean, Daniel would, you know, later on he shows his resolve when he gets thrown into a lion's den. Um, that's a, it's a different king. But um, um, here's the thing. Um, 
we believe, and the, the, the scholars, the people a whole lot smarter than me, would all say his job would, would require him to travel some. So he probably, wasn't in, he probably wasn't in town, so to speak. Probably wasn't there. But here's my question. Hundred, you know, probably hundreds of these young men, the, 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 these guys that were raised in these good Jewish families, are taken captive. It's been three, five, ten years. We don't know exactly how many. And only three? Only three aren't going to bow down to this pagan totem pole image? Only three. Is that all? I mean, that's amazing to me. How come only three? Had the others been so conditioned and so, so, so over, you know, saturated into this culture that they no longer knew right from wrong? Very possible. It happens. But uh, nonetheless, they didn't do it. Neb goes absolutely ballistic. Watch this, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage, and he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? A bit of an ego problem, don't you think? Well, right up front, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16, oh, replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able, watch, now watch this carefully, watch this carefully, is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you've set up. Are these guys just the best or what? I mean, it's like, and here's the, and I'm going to come back to this in a minute, but I just want to make sure you see it now. They don't say God's going to rescue us. God's going to save us from the fire. They say God's going to, God's going to save us. We don't know how he's going to do that. And he may not rescue us from this fire, but we're still going to serve him and not this gold statue where nobody's home. Okay? So verse 18, you love this. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. I don't know what the purpose of that is. I mean, a fire is a fire, you know? You get thrown into a fire, oh, well, gosh, turn it up more. You know, I mean, what's the deal? Anyway, it's just seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And that was normally they would would have them undressed so they could just go ahead and bury them. Um, but because, or, or what was left of them. But because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, watch this, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Now watch this. This, this is really good. Verse 24, suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed in his advisors, didn't we tie up three men? And throw them into the furnace? 
Yes, Your Majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted. I see four men, unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Let me tell you who this was. There's some debate, but, but most scholars believe, and I believe, and I'm not a scholar, uh, this was Jesus. This is what we call a pre-incarnate view of Jesus. It happens a few times in the Old Testament. Usually he's called the angel of the Lord. And uh, this was Jesus, who was right there, obviously, before Jesus comes to earth as a baby. He was right there to protect them and, 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 and to take them out of there. Amazing, amazing thing. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace, and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Did you catch that? Servants of the Most High God. Hey, what happened to your big statue, dude? You know? What's the deal? Servants of the Most High God. I mean, he's... By the way, I, I think I think... Nebuchadnezzar has some pretty amazing things happen to him, and we're not going to go into that now. It happens later on in the book of Daniel, but it's a very good possibility that Nebuchadnezzar came to faith in the Lord God, the one, the Lord God of Israel. Very good possibility, and this was part of that process. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, the officials, the governors, advisors crowded around them, saw that the fire had not touched them, not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell. They didn't even smell of smoke. Now watch what happens here. You're talking about a politician doing a sidestep. Verse 28, Then Nebuchadnezzar says, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. (laughs) If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble and there is no other god who can rescue like this. Wow. And he's so violent. You know, it's like you either do this or you're going to freaking die. You know? Uh, And you're not just going to die. We're going to lift your limb from limb. So primitive. Uh, Verse 30, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Amazing story. Amazing narrative of history there. Just amazing. A lot we can learn from it. Let Let me just get you to think with me just for a couple of minutes. Two or three things, very simple. First one is this, real... I, I think it's kind of obvious, maybe not. Real faith is going to cost you something. Real faith is going to cost you something. I mean, it could have cost them their lives. could have cost them their positions or more. Um, and if your faith is genuine and real... Maybe you've experienced what it means to, to have a relationship lost because of that. Somebody couldn't handle maybe some of the new values that you, that you have when you, be, when you became a follower of Christ or in the process of becoming a follower of Christ. Um, 
you know, if you consider yourself, and just think about this, just, we have all kinds of people that come on Sunday morning, and some of you uh, are, are, are clearly declared yourself as followers of Christ. Some of you are still thinking about that, and that's fine. But if, if you're one of those who consider yourself a follower of Christ, um, and, you're, and you're serious about that, I, I would ask you, have there been any sacrifices that have been made in your life? Whatever that might be, I mean, I mean, have you ever been in an uncomfortable position because of your faith? Because if you haven't, maybe your life isn't reflecting your faith. Or maybe you're just caving into the culture. These guys could have just caved into the culture. I'm sure they were, they were conditioned upon condition upon condition. So I would ask a question to myself in this situation. Is my culture conditioning me instead of me living out my faith in my culture? That's a very important question. Because, uh, and that might look differently for different ones of us in different ways. I mean, that may mean that, that, may mean that some of my language may not be the same. Uh, that may mean that, that, that maybe I, I, I have one less drink, you know? Or in some cases, maybe a couple less. I'm not a teetotaler, but there's no question it's that, that, that there should be a difference in those of us who are people of faith. Maybe it means that there's compassion instead of gossip. Because I have a heart of mercy. You know, maybe it means that there's kindness, which is very countercultural to our culture. My, my point is, real faith is going to cost you something, and it's going to look different than just, than just, oh, I'm doing my own thing here. And in their case, it could have cost them a whole lot. And they said, we're going to trust God. That's just one thought. Real faith will cost you something. Second thing that I think of with this, this, whole, this whole narrative here is this. And this is a hard one to say, but I think we all need to hear it. Sometimes God wants or lets us go through the fire. I'm, I'm using that as a metaphor, of course. That fire may be changes in my career, may be downsized out of a situation where the, that you liked a lot, did very well. Many of you have experienced that in the last 18 months or so. Some of you are still dealing with it. Might mean changes in your home, you know, and, 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 and you get, you know, kids grow up, leave home, go to college, get married, have more kids, and then never return your dang phone call. And what the heck's that all about? I mean, you know, <laughs> return the phone call. You almost died bringing it on the face of the earth. You can't return a stinking phone call? <laughs> That's not the one that's here, by the way, just so you know. But, but you know, you, you, you know and, and, and in families, and in all families, you have these things that you deal with and, and, and you work through. And, and it's tough, and you, 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 know, you worry about your kids when they're little, and then they, and they get bigger, and they get bigger problems. And, and it's, 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 it's harsh. Uncertainty about the future. You know the illusion of the whole thing about uncertainty about the future? None of us, none of us are certain about our future. We, some of us think we are. None of us are. Some of us have become very well aware of that more in the last 24 months, maybe. Uh, but th- there is that. And then there's aging. 
That really sucks, let me just tell you. Uh, I come here this morning, I was in a great mood. Walking up, stopped at that, I always do at the, at the nursery, the second, or the second floor kids thing. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm not doing so good. This baby was up last night, one of our moms who helps down there. Baby was up all night and I'm sleepy. I didn't sleep much. I said, yeah, well, I didn't either. She, she says, yeah, but you're just old. <laughs> I said, Thanks. I needed to hear that right here at 8.30 this morning. I needed to hear that, yeah. Um, just, let's go back to that kindness part right now. Um, no, I mean, as you age and, and you start dealing with things and dealing with aging parents, there, there are just some real tough things that we have to deal with here. And, 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 and sometimes it's like a fire. I mean, you know, why is that? It's just the nature of life. And, and, but God wants to use those moments, and get this, he wants to use those moments in our lives. He wants us to embrace them because that's what's going to transform us. And, and if we don't understand that, we're really, in, we're really in bad shape. Bonhoeffer, the great German pastor, said this, Time is lost when we have not lived a full human life. Time unenriched by experience, creative endeavor, enjoyment and suffering. It's part of the full human life. And he knew that. He was eventually martyred for a plot that he had helped to, to try to kill Hitler. Um, sometimes God wants or allows us to go through these, I'm going to call them these, these fires of life. It's never easy. I don't want to do it again. But it's those times that we really can be transformed, become more what God wants us to be. Third thing is this. Last thing, I I, I still want to use this literal fire as a metaphor for our fires of life. No matter how hot the fire, no matter how deep the pit, no matter how hopeless Things seem to be at the time. Look around in that furnace because Christ is always there. Christ is always there. Don't always feel his presence and not always acknowledging it, but he's always there. One, one scholar, God is ever ready to deliver his people when they put their trust in him. Always ready. And, and, and you know what? We don't always know how that's going to look. They didn't. They didn't know how it was going to look. But we can know that God in His wisdom and in His many, many ways will deliver us as we trust Him. I love that. I love that. The way they... Uh, this, this whole thing wouldn't have worked for me, even though it's the Bible, if they had said, God's going to save us from the fire. They just said, you know what? Even if he doesn't, <laughs> we want to make it clear to you that we're never going to serve any other God. That's, uh, that's trust. It goes back to our verse of the year. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. Um, that's, what, that's, what, that's, what, that's what it is. Real simple. Real faith is going to cost us something. God sometimes wants or lets us go through those fires 
But Christ is always, always there. There's great assurance in that, and we thank God for that. All my life, I told you this when I talked about that, that, that Proverbs 3 thing back in January. All my life, even, even though I'm a minister, all my life, I'll try anything but trusting God. And the one thing in my life I keep learning, that's all you can, that's all you, that's all you can do, and that's the best thing you can do. So why is it so hard? Because we're all a bunch of broken dirtball sinners, that's why. And Jesus loved us anyway. Let's thank God for that. God, we are so thankful that it's not about us. And God, that you're there. We may not always feel it. It may not always seem like it, but you're there in the midst of that that big-time fire. And I know I'm talking to some people who are going through some pretty harsh things in their lives. And I pray, God, that you would just make that assurance clear in each one of our lives as we seek to trust you. We thank you for Jesus who gives us the ability to have a relationship with you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.